Hi, everyone. Welcome to the November 8th ASF Weekly Science Podcast. I'm Alicia Halliday, the Chief Science Officer at the Autism Science Foundation. Now, I'm not going to just start this podcast out without an acknowledgement that the United States, and let's face it, the world, was on pins and needles all this week with a very close presidential election. Finally, on Saturday morning, there was some resolution when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected as president and vice president of the U.S. What does this mean for people with ASD and their families? Well, talk is cheap. And before I mention anything that the new administration says they will do, I will wait for them to actually do it. President-elect Biden has said he's going to re-enter the Paris Climate Accord and he's going to work to end systemic racism. He has also said he's going to ease restrictions for LGBT people. Now, all of these things will benefit citizens of the world. What will happen to affordable health care, Medicaid? How will the Department of Education be run? Well, these are all things that have yet to be seen, and I'm not going to jump into what may or may not happen. Stay tuned for a reevaluation and summary after the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. And if you think this shows any sort of favoritism, check your podcast history. We did the same thing after the election in 2016. Now on to a topic that requires no emphasis, but does require frequent updates because new data is always coming out. And this is on the topic of gender differences in ASD. This may sound like the same old story I always talk about. Like, why are more males diagnosed compared to females? Do they have different symptoms or challenges or strengths? And what causes these differences, if there are any? Well, I guess you'll have to listen this week to find out what the new data is. Now, I can't possibly keep up with every single piece of scientific literature out there, so I'm eternally grateful to scientists who do what are called systematic reviews. These are reviews that summarize data and looks at it carefully to ensure that it has enough people to make conclusions, that they actually have data to support their findings, and don't show other evidence of bias. They also can do something called a meta-analysis, where they take all the data across these different studies and show across the different studies what the direction of the effect is and how big it is. These are really important when you get down to what does the scientific literature say. Researchers in Nottingham, United Kingdom, did this this week, did a meta-analysis and a systematic review that focused on social interactions in males and females with ASD. Why? Why not just diagnosis? Well, studies have already shown that overall, there are not huge male-female differences in symptom presentation. And researchers have said that actually, if you want to really think about these subtle differences, you need to narrow down the features. So you need to really get fine-grained analysis of different types of behavior across males and females with autism to really see where the differences are, not just look at some more broad-based measures. There really needs to be an effort to focus on instruments that target certain behaviors specifically. In this study, it was social interaction, but maybe it would be communication or repetitive behavior, theory of mind, these sorts of things. They need to be looked at with a finer grained analysis and a finer tooth comb. Maybe traditional methods are too blunt and we need a sharper tool to consider gender differences, which may be very small. 
Now, in this study, social interaction included things like social attention, play behavior, peer relationships, and social reciprocity. They examined studies that used detailed assessments or novel assessments using additional measures to just diagnostic tools to really look closely at these behaviors. How closely do you have to look to see any differences and are they that big? Well, you're about ready to find out. They boiled down their findings to 16 studies that specifically focused on social interaction that looked at males or females with ASD. They also used studies that included a comparison, meaning non-autistic females as well as non-autistic males. In other words, it's not just enough to show that there are male-female differences in ASD. You need to look at it in the context of typical male and female differences, which do exist. If they didn't exist, that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are For Venus, would have never sold one copy. As it turns out, the meta-analysis indicated that autistic females demonstrated significantly better social interaction and communication skills than autistic males. Now, this is also the same pattern that is found for non-autistic individuals. Females without autism or neurotypical females also demonstrate better social interaction than non-autistic or neurotypical males. And I have a news flash for you. Both males and females with ASD were more socially impaired than those without ASD. That was the big difference seen, not the gender difference, the difference between autism and no autism. Now, girls are more social than boys, and these are typical differences that are seen also in girls and boys with ASD. Autistic girls actually had about the same amount of social interaction as typical males, also, the differences between non-autistic males with non-autistic females and autistic females with non-autistic females actually become more evident as kids get older. Now, this has been shown before. Babies and infants kind of have similar impairments regardless of gender and infancy, and differences seem to be noticed by clinicians during adolescence. In this meta-analysis, you could really see that infants and toddlers had very, very small differences in social interaction, but adolescents, young adults, and even adults, their differences were much bigger. When I say much bigger, how big? Well, really not huge. Interestingly enough, there was a pattern, but it wasn't like every study showed huge differences or could make strong conclusions. But it wasn't all that different than what you would expect by looking at males and females without ASD. Remember I told you that females in general are just more socially apt and they have better language and they're more socially interactive than boys typically. So is there something going on in the female brain that's not there in the male brain that produces a subtle change in behaviors, even the absence of autism? Are females the stronger sex? Well, you know how I'm going to answer that. Yes. Are females maybe able to compensate if they have ASD and maybe camouflage their symptoms? Yes. What gives them that ability? We don't know. Also, the fact that there was no difference between typical males and autistic females show that special attention does need to be paid with females with ASD. Maybe their symptoms may not be as obvious, and that seems to be clear in younger kids with the differences becoming more apparent as they get older. 
as, as I was reading this study, though, I thought, well, if symptoms are more apparent over time, do girls need repetitive reevaluations through adolescence to have a diagnosis? At what point is diagnosis stable and is that the same in males versus females? Well, in order to address that question, researchers need longitudinal analysis. That is, they need to follow the same child at age two through adulthood. This type of study is not cheap and it does not produce results quickly to be able to capture the attention of funders so they can be somewhat rare. But our friends up north in Canada have been tracking a large group of males and females with autism from age 2 to age 22 and asking those questions early on. For example, what was the age of first concern in boys and girls with ASD? What was the age in diagnosis? What are some things that affected this difference if there was one? Well, there was one. Girls and boys showed a similar age at first concerns. That is, parents or other people mentioned they saw something in both boys and girls at the similar age. That was around two. However, girls had a much later age of diagnosis. Boys were diagnosed around five years. It took girls about seven years to get a diagnosis. In girls, verbal cognitive abilities seem to strongly affect this, this delay, with age of diagnosis being higher in girls with higher verbal ability. The score is measured on the ability to verbally reason and process verbal materials. So when girls had a lower verbal IQ or were considered cognitively impaired, it didn't really seem to make a difference. But it did make a difference if the girls had an IQ above 70. The higher the IQ, the higher the age of diagnosis. These results suggest that girls with high verbal IQ present with symptoms later and may be more difficult to identify. This again underscores the importance of increasing the skills of clinicians to recognize the presentation of ASD in girls with high cognitive abilities. It doesn't mean that girls and boys need different assessment instruments. It just suggests that perhaps these things need to be considered when diagnosing boys and girls, especially those with high verbal IQ. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the age of diagnosis in Canada has increased over the past 20 years. I personally thought it was going to decrease. I mean, haven't we been working like crazy to lower the age of diagnosis? Well, it could be that this delay in diagnosis is the result of bottlenecks. Also, interestingly, race and ethnicity did not affect the age of diagnosis, which is surprising because in every other study I've seen, race and ethnicity does increase the age of diagnosis. So clearly more work needs to be done in this area. But this data is consistent with other studies that show the age of diagnosis is higher in females than males with ASD. The fact that verbal IQ in those who are cognitively able influence that age of diagnosis in females indicates that clinicians need to do a better job of recognizing ASD in girls and making sure they get an appropriate diagnosis. But that's not the whole bag of carrots as to why more males are diagnosed compared to females. Finally, biologically, is there anything that can account for these differences in the developing brain? I already mentioned males and females, even without ASD, are different in terms of social interaction. 
Well, there might be obvious candidates as to what are the underlying neurobiological reasons as why male and female behavior is different. It could be genetics, it could be estrogen or other hormones during development. Females and males actually grow new brain cells at different rates, and that list goes on and on. But what about environmental factors? A study from California, actually from that Kaiser Permanente database I mentioned on last week's podcast, shows some interesting findings. Again, the study does not explain it all, but it does show why there might be some differences. The researchers got blood from pregnant women through their normal healthcare visits during pregnancy, and they measured things like vitamin D, among other things, but this study focused on vitamin D. Then they tracked the babies and the kids, who had an autism diagnosis and who didn't. And then they were able to tie back those vitamin D levels during pregnancy to the outcome in those kids. Of the women tested, 25% had deficient vitamin D levels and 10% had insufficient vitamin D levels. That's amazing. 25% of pregnant women don't have enough vitamin D and 10% don't even have enough to measure. Okay, so that's a public health issue. Now on to the autism question. In males, rising levels of vitamin D seem to be protective against an autism diagnosis. For the most part, the higher level in vitamin D, the lower chance of an autism diagnosis in boys. However, boys just seem to have different levels to begin with. They had In girls, the level was higher than in boys. The level of vitamin D in pregnancy seemed to increase the probability of the girl having an ASD diagnosis. So as the probability decreased in boys, it actually increased in girls, but the overall level was higher in girls than boys. Are you confused? It's confusing. Females do seem to have more protection against vitamin D deficiency and the immune modulatory effects of vitamin D are different in boys versus girls. That's just something about the neurobiology of boys and girls. Now, why would higher levels lead to an increased probability of a diagnosis in girls but not boys? Do girls have a protective mechanism against low levels of vitamin D? These things are possibilities. There are just too many variables here including differences across race and ethnicity. If you think the male-female differences are confusing, listen to this. High vitamin D levels are also associated with increased probability of ASD in boys and girls of Hispanic mothers. Now, I know I mentioned the word protection, but I don't think there's anything protecting Hispanic kids against a diagnosis. Now, whatever's going on, clearly clinicians need to closely examine girls with high verbal IQ. They may not show the same type of social interaction deficits as boys, and they may get missed. This does not explain all of the differences between males and females, but it might explain some of them. What is causing these differences? Now, that's the million-dollar question, and while I mentioned vitamin D, that's just a small part of the pie. But it's likely to be something around being female per se, as the differences in typical boys and girls are also seen in autistic boys and girls. Thank you for listening this week, and I, have, I hope you have a great week. Mm-hmm.